Hi, Church. So good to have you join us again this weekend for our online services. You know, two weeks ago, I started on this message about having a Jesus paradigm, and we spoke about redefining our understanding of justice. We talked about not just seeking justice for others or seeking justice for ourselves, but instead doing and practicing justice in our lives. No, but this cannot be done without us giving up our sense of what is our rights and surrendering that to Jesus. Amen. We address this by looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to verse 42, where we are told to turn the other cheek, to go the second mile, and to give our cloaks when they come after our tunics. You know, my intention for doing this series springs from the fact that as followers of Jesus, there has got to be some clear distinctives about us. Jesus should notice visible differences. Uh, my, I'm sorry, but people should notice visible differences in us as compared to the rest of the world. The reason is because God's kingdom operates very differently from the systems that are in this world. You know, what is worse still is many times Christians would misbehave and it brings great disrepute to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The thing though I, that I want to do uh, through these messages is not just to correct behaviour, but instead I hope to give us a means of seeing and understanding things from the perspective of Jesus as the way He taught us to see. You know, if we can do that, then our behaviour would change automatically. And this is what Jesus sought to do on the Sermon on the Mount and his intention wasn't to introduce another 613 laws and commandments to try to govern every action that is in us. Instead, if he can change our hearts, our paradigms, then we will know what to do in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Now, this weekend, I want to cover two additional paradigms that Jesus espoused. Now, the first has got to do with a pure motive or a purified motive. Now, this is an area that Jesus dealt with on the Sermon uh, on the Mount, motive. And when Jesus talked about motive, the operative word that appears uh, over and over again is the word hypocrite. Now, the etymology of, the, of this word comes from the Greek word for actor. And an actor is one that portrays a character that is not himself. Now, in this case, Jesus condemns hypocrisy in that we pretend to be someone that we are not in order to win the praises of men. And there are three specific instances that Jesus relays to us concerning hypocrisy in the area of charitable deeds, in the area of prayer, and finally, in the area of judgment. Let's look at these three areas. Now, in the area of charitable deeds, okay, um, it is when uh, hypocrisy seeks to create a false image of our works. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 4 is where Jesus talks about this. And let me read for you verses 3 and 4. When you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Then your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Now, this is the first area where it's so easy for us to be hypocritical and it is in the area of our works. Our works important? Yes, absolutely, they are very important. We are supposed to be full of good works. In fact, the Bible tells us that good works brings glory to God. However, the underlying issue of good works is something unseen and it has to do with our motivation. Are we motivated to do good works in order to win the praises of men or the praises of God? 
If you are uncertain, then try doing good works in secret and see how you react when no one acknowledges you for those charitable deeds. I mean, what if someone, what if you had to help someone in secret and the person never attributes their success to you? What if, um, you know, they not only do not acknowledge you for what you've done for them, but goes on to credit others for their success? Now, wouldn't that be a great revealer of what is in our hearts? Would we try to vindicate ourselves or claim credit for ourselves? Or are we satisfied and just happy for the fact that the person has succeeded? Now, the second area that Jesus used to talk about our motivation is in the area of prayer. And hypocrisy shows itself by seeking to create an image of spirituality that is false. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 says this, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward." You know, for some reason, people love to appear more spiritual than who they really are. And again, the fundamental difference in motivation that Jesus points out is that one seeks after a reward of standing before men, while the other uh, one seeks uh, um, to genuinely uh, look for a reward from God the Father. And that's the difference in their motivation. Now, finally, the most interesting area that Jesus talks about is in the area of passing judgment. And essentially, uh, hypocrisy seeks to you know, create a false image of our character. Now, I want to read for us five verses here because they constitute, I believe, some of the most misunderstood and misquoted verses in the Bible. And that is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 to verse 5. And let me read it to you. It says, Judge not that you uh, be not judged. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, Jesus here is using um, the subject of how we judge to speak about our motivation and the truthfulness of who we really are. The issue that he is tackling here isn't about judgment per se. And that's where people misunderstand this passage of Scripture. But what Jesus is really tackling is about hypocrisy. It is hypocritical to be criticizing something in your brother's life when you have the same problem. Now, Jesus uses a right illustration to make his point, And he said, you can't deal with the speck or the little bit of you know, uh, problem in your brother's eyes when you have a plank in your own eye. Now, here's the thing. If you happen to have a speck in your eye, because it is in your eye, it becomes a plank. Now, let me illustrate this simply for you. If you hold your fingers out in front of you, as far as you possibly can, you know, um, uh, as far as uh, possible from your eyes, what you will see is that your fingertips will, uh, is going to appear actually quite small, right? It's not very big. But when you begin to move your finger closer and closer to your eyes, and as you put your fingertips right to your eye, that fingertip no longer is small. It has become quite big, and it covers your whole view. It is as good as having your whole eye being blocked by a plank. 
You know, this is what Jesus is demonstrating to us when He gave us that illustration. Now, does this passage, you know, mean that we should not judge at all? Of course not. Because not a few verses after this, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, we are told to beware of false prophets and to judge them by their fruits. We are to judge them by their fruits. And again, immediately after this passage, you know, Jesus says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. Now, I think that's a pretty judgmental statement that requires for us to judge who are dogs and swine. I'm just saying that, right? I mean, Jesus has a way of putting things into context. You know, Jesus, let me tell you this, is, isn't contradicting himself. The point is that hypocrisy will cause us to see other people's flaws and overlook our own. Hypocrisy is the plank that covers our eyes. But if, you deal, if we would deal with ourselves first, examine our own hearts, check our motives, then we can judge rightly. You see, right judgment requires a pure heart and true character. Now, just to close this segment off, I want to say that there is a solution that God gives to us to hypocrisy. And the solution is when we get our motives and our motivation right. And Jesus gives us a solution actually through the Lord's Prayer. That might be a surprise for many of us. But take a look at how the prayer is positioned in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and, uh, to verse 13, right? You know, it is placed immediately after he addresses the issue of hypocrisy as expressed through charitable acts, you know, all through the area of prayer. I mean, this, the Lord's Prayer is given immediately after he talks about these two things. And hence, I'd like to suggest to you that the Lord's Prayer in this context, in its right context, addresses, is meant to address the issue of hypocrisy. In fact, I believe it gives us a solution for hypocrisy. Now, I want to categorize this uh, prayer here for you and explain this to you. Now, for those of you who are watching online, of course, I would want to strongly encourage you at this point to get the slides you know, from uh, our Church Scribe app, okay? because this portion is going to be a lot easier for you to follow if you can look at the slides visually than just listen to me speaking. Okay? So let me break the Lord's Prayer down for you. It begins by saying, Our Father in Heaven. And this is a part whereby we need to realign, we need to properly align our relationship with God. We need to know that our relationship is with Father God. And when we know that, when we know Him as our Father, it will help us to come to a place where we don't need to prove ourselves anymore. It points us towards pleasing, uh, uh, pleasing the Lord, right? We don't have to seek for approval. You know, our desire is to please uh, the Father. In fact, if you look closely when Jesus talked about the charitable acts as well as prayer, Two times the Lord repeats this simple phrase, your father who sees in secret, your father who sees. And that's the thing, you know, it is when we, are, we have our relationship with Father God properly aligned that our desire and our motivation becomes about pleasing our Father. The second thing to look at here is, you know, Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is where there has to be an alignment of our agenda with heaven's agenda. You see, when our agenda is aligned, then we will stop asking or seeking after what is our own agenda. When our agenda becomes God's will, what He wants to do, then we'll begin to seek after what He wants and not what we want. You know, uh, it goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread. And this is an alignment of our source. This is so that we would know that everything we need comes from God. And therefore, we need to seek God. And, you know, and it does not come from men. And, and it takes that out of the equation. 
It also says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And this is an alignment of our perspective. We need to realize that every one of us, all of us, we are sinners who are in need of God's forgiveness. And as the Lord puts it, as we realize we are in need of forgiveness, then also the realization leads us to forgive others as well. Now, this is a dealing with the, the plank that is in our eyes, right? It is to see and realize that, hey, it's not just a speck that's in my brother's eyes, but I am in need of forgiveness just as my brothers are. Right? And then finally, uh, the, the Lord's Prayer says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this is an alignment of our strength. We need to realize that we cannot triumph and come to a place of right motivation without God's help. Now, isn't this amazing? When we pray the Lord's Prayer meditatively, it actually helps us overcome hypocrisy and to become genuine and sincere. Now, another aspect or uh, paradigm that needs to be shifted is that we need to have a true understanding of wealth. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives about a quarter of this whole message to talking about wealth and possession. Now, the best way to understand this is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, when we start talking about treasures, wealth, possession, we're coming closest to talking about heart issues. We're coming to the matters of the heart. Jesus talks about this whole area in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to verse 34. I've segmentalized this into four parts. Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 19 to 21. Jesus focuses on our hearts. And that speaks about where our affection, our love is. In verses 22 to 23, the Lord talks about eyes. And that has to do with our generosity. In verse 24, Jesus talks about our hands, whom we serve. And of course, that speaks about our service. And verses 25 to 34, it's our minds. What is it that we are concerned with? Now, I want to make a couple of comments on the above. Firstly, let me talk about the heart. Okay? In verse 19 to verse 21, it says this, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You see, so often we pray or we sing, Jesus, I give you my heart. Now, the truth is this, we can't give the Lord our hearts. And I, the reason I say this is because of what we've just read. Instead, what we need to do is we need to build a storehouse of treasures. And where we have built up our wealth and where we have built up our treasure, that is where our hearts are going to be. So if you want your heart to be for Jesus, then what you have to do is to build a treasure trove in the Lord and in the things of God. Only then will your heart gravitate towards the Lord. Our devotion to Jesus is not something airy-fairy. It's not something we just mouth. It is something so practical. It is something that we can consciously and deliberately build towards by making sure that we invest into treasures that is in heaven. Amen? Now look, we save up to buy a house or here on the earth, or we save up to buy a car here. But the question is, if we do save up to invest into good works, into missions, into things that God is speaking to us, uh, to us uh, about giving to words, amen? Now, there is nothing wrong with owning a house or owning a car. 
by all means, God will take care of these things in our lives. And, you know, He gives us permission to ask Him and He will give us these things. However, just as we have a plan for this life, we need to have a plan for the next life as well. Now, if you don't have a plan, a financial plan for the life that is to come, then I want to strongly encourage you to start designing a plan for that. You know, Jesus said this. He said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. These are action words. These are not, you know, mental words. You know, it's not just thinking about. It's not just, you know, saying something. These are words. Lay up. It requires for us to take action. Amen. Now, I want for us to look also in Matthew 6, verse 22 to verse 23. And uh, the scripture says this, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, the first thing we need to understand about this passage of Scripture is what is a good eye and what is an evil eye. Now, several Scriptures explain this to us, that an evil eye is a stingy or greedy person and hence, on uh, the converse is that a good eye is one that is generous. Now look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 9. Okay? And here it's dealing with something specific. It says, Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, In the seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother. Your eye be evil, and you give him nothing. And he cries out to the Lord against you and it becomes sin amongst you. Now, the seventh year is a year where debts get released. Okay? And what this verse is saying, is prescribing to us, is that if on the seventh year, your brother who is poor comes to you and asks for a loan, and it is the year where the loan is going to be cancelled. In other words, if you lend money to your brother, you're probably not going to get it back. And you were the thing in your thoughts, okay, I'm not going to get my money back. I'm not going to lend to my brother. You know what the Bible calls that? The Bible says that that is an eye that is evil. Amen. Now again in Proverbs 28 verse 22, it says, a man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. So again, an evil eye is, a eye is a person that is greedy, that is going after riches. Matthew 20 verse 15, you know, at the end of the parable about the 11th hour workers, you know, Jesus said this, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? You see, the people who started working the first hour, they began to complain because the people who came in the last hour, they got the same pay as those who came in the first hour. And, and they became critical of the Lord's generosity and that criticalness you know, is described as an eye that is evil. You see, the eyes are a, a vital part of our functioning anatomy, right? It speaks not only about seeing things physically, but oftentimes in the Bible, eyes relates to how we perceive things. Jesus said this, that having eyes to see, but they do not perceive. Hear, having ears to hear, but they do not understand. So the eyes are not just talking about physical sight, about looking physically. Now, the issue that is pointed out here is that is that how we see things will determine how every other part of our body would be. Now, if our eyes are bad or evil, then the whole body is going to be filled with darkness. Jesus said, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? 
In other words, as Christians, there should be light inside of us. But if instead of light there is darkness, then how terrible that darkness would be, perhaps worse than non-believers and non-Christians, right? You see, the issue of generosity doesn't begin with giving. It begins with how we see things, with how we perceive things, right? Do you see a cup as being half empty or do you see it as being half full? Do you see the strengths in a person first or do you uh, default to seeing people's flaws uh, as a first thing? Do you perceive challenges first in a project that comes to you or do you see potential? Is your first response to something new uh, being, you know, it can't be done? Or is your response, come, let's do it, right? When you see someone blessed, do you rejoice with them or question if they deserve the blessings. These things will reveal what is our eyes like. What is the condition of our eyes? Right? Think about this. When the sinful woman lavished the perfume on Jesus, Judas's first uh, response is, why wasn't this sold and the money given to the poor? He couldn't see the costly worship that the woman was bringing to Jesus. He had an evil eye. When confronted with 5,000 hungry men, the disciples said to Jesus, send them away. There's no way we're going to feed so many people. But what Jesus saw instead, he saw their needs and he was moved by compassion and he multiplied the fish and the bread to feed 5,000. Now, isn't that amazing? And then when, Jesus, when, when David was being praised for killing 10,000, instead of rejoicing with David, Saul became jealous of him. You see, there's something about the evil eye that functions out of a place of jealousy, greed, and selfishness. These all translate into a stinginess in our giving, in our assessment of people, in our, in our ability to rejoice with others. You see, Jesus needed to deal with our concept of wealth and value because this has a huge impact on how we conduct ourselves. Now, isn't it interesting that these four segments where Jesus talks about money, that each segment touches an, uh, uh, an anatomical part of our body, our eyes, our, you know, our hearts, our hands, and our minds, right? Now, these parts are not referring to our ability to function physically, but they actually relate to our personality. Now, hear this, okay, and understand this. They make up uh, uh, for who we are as a person, right? How we think, where our hearts, our affections are, you know, how we see things. Now, this is why this error is so important for Jesus to address and to deal with. It is because when we hand, how we handle wealth, how we ascribe value to things is who we are. Now, get this. This is who we are, how we address and how we deal with wealth and possession and money. Now, I, I think that there's a few important foundations that Jesus talks about that needs to be laid in our lives in order for us to have a correct perspective of God's sense of value and worth. Amen? Now, the first thing that we need to realize that needs to be established is that we are valuable to Him, to God. Right? And um, now, you know, in, in Matthew chapter 6, you know, we are told very clearly that we are more valuable to God than all the flora and fauna. Let me say this, the environment, the climate, you know, um, plant life, animal life, these things are incredibly important to God. But the, Lord, the Bible tells us that we have greater value in the eyes of God than these things. And these things are valuable, valuable to God. And God takes extreme care for both of them. 
He feeds the birds of the air. He dresses the flowers in the fields. And God is telling us this, that if He, he treats these things with such care, how much more would He look after us? How much more we are more valuable to Him than these things? And therefore, we must be assured that God will take care of all of our needs. Amen? Now, the second foundation that must be properly laid is that God is a good God. He is a good God. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11 says this, If you then, being evil, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? You've got to realize this. When we are stacked up in comparison with God, there's only one way to, de to describe us. We are evil compared to God. That's how good God is. You know, and, and think about this. He's so much, so much better than us. And, you know, as a parent, as a father, consider all the good that you would do for your own children, the good things that you will give them, you know, the guidance you give to them. And God says, how much more I will do these things for you? How much more I will provide for you when we come to Him? God is a good God. Amen. And finally, we got to get our priorities right. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Two things we are called to prioritize. The first is that we got to prior prioritize His kingdom, and the second is His righteousness. It isn't just about doing God's work. It is also about living God's ways. And this is what this verse says to us. So often we focus on doing God's work, but it says not just the kingdom of God, but we are to seek His righteousness. And that means to live God's way. Now, I pray that God will transform our mindsets. Amen. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, it says that we are not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can know what is His good, acceptable, and perfect will. This is what Jesus sought to do in the Sermon on the Mount. He sought to change the way we think. He sought, sought to redefine for us what is the system that is to operate in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And I want to commend this to you. I pray that this will bless you. I pray that you will consider this carefully. And you would just allow the Holy Spirit to use His Word, to use God's Word to come and convict us about changes that needs to happen. Amen. I pray this will also give you fresh insights into how God wants us to see things and may we make those adjustments so that we may live distinctively for Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.